that David wrote this gloriously evangelical psalm is proved not only by the heading. The heading says a psalm of David, and I believe that's inspired. But also by the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4, where the Apostle says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Clearly, a reference to David and to this Psalm number 32. Probably his deep repentance, David's deep repentance over his great sin was followed by such blissful peace and rejoicing that he was led to pour out his soul in the sweet music of this very choice song. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. A full and instantaneous irreversible pardon of transgression turns the sinner's hail into heaven and makes the sinner an heir of heaven instead of an heir of God's wrath for all eternity. That is a glorious salvation. That's a mighty work of God. And it's a real work. And it's something to be experienced and enjoyed by all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. The word rendered forgiven is in the original taken off or taken away. Taken off. Imagine an animal, say a donkey, often used in eastern countries for carrying burdens. And we sometimes see them on TV uh, making their way up over rugged terrain, hardly able to carry the burden and to walk. And this word forgiven means taken off or taken away. You imagine that burden being lifted off the back of that donkey and then not just left at its feet, not just left beside it, for it to retake it and carry it further. But taken away. Taken away out of sight. Taken away even from that little animal. So that it carries that burden no more. That's a picture of salvation. That's a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We were carrying our burden of sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ has taken it away. Not only lifted it off our shoulders and our back. Not only relieved our hearts from it. But he has taken it away. Far away. As far as the east is from the west. So far hath the Lord removed from us our sins and our iniquities. 
It cost our Savior the sweat of blood. The cruel, ignominious death of the cross. It cost them not to take away our load and to bear away our sin. It cost him his life. Samson carried away the gates of Gaza. But what was that compared to the weight which Jesus bore for you and me on our behalf? He bore the weight of our sin and carried it away. Tell me, do you know anything about God's pardon and God's forgiveness? And the blessedness of this first verse of Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The psalmist wrote these words out of the joy and the thrill of the experience of pardoning grace. Oh, have you had that joy in your heart tonight? Tonight I am speaking on the subject, atonement through the blood of Christ. There's no other way to be saved, only through the blood of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, a record is given there of the fall of man. And because of Adam's disobedience and sin, the entire human race was plunged into a state of misery. The shorter catechism, of which I'm sure many of you are familiar, states in answer to question 19 that all mankind by the fall have lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. That's the result of the fall. And the fall in Eden's garden brought all of us into that state of sin and misery. As a result of all this, man therefore stands in great need of a saviour. Without such a saviour, he is forever lost. And friend, if you're without Christ tonight, you're lost. And you're in danger of being forever lost. For you need Christ. You need a saviour. But how can fallen man be saved and escape punishment from his sin? Is there a way for sin to be forgiven? The answer is found in the atoning blood of Christ. The answer is found in that atoning work upon the cross of Calvary. Thank God there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. And at Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. I want us tonight to consider as briefly as we can three things about atonement through the blood of the cross. 
First of all, atonement was provided by God. And then secondly, atonement was pictured by God. And thirdly and finally, atonement was procured by God. And so first of all, atonement was provided by God. The salvation of God's people was purposed and planned by the Lord. Before there even was a sin problem. Get that? Before there even was a sin problem, God had already planned our salvation. Isn't that amazing? Your salvation, as you sit in that seat tonight, has been planned by God in his love from all of eternity. And tonight you sit rejoicing, knowing that God had planned your salvation and planned how it should come about. In 1 Peter chapter, 20, chapter 1 and verse 20, we read these words. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. That's what God planned for us. Again in Acts 2 verse 23, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, he said, Him, that is Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, have taken and by wicked hands ye have crucified and slain. The hymn writer also said some lovely words. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. And oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. If we go back to Abraham and to his word to Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 8, it was a prophetic Reference to Christ. In him God would provide himself a lamb. In the Lord Jesus God's son. God was providing himself a lamb. A lamb for the slaughter. A lamb to be sacrificed for the sins of his people. This provision of an atonement for sin. Was made by a loving God. God loved the world of sinners lost and ruined by the fall. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we're told this. You listen to what God says here in his word. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Now listen, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How lovely, how wonderful, what grace, what majesty is bestowed upon wicked sinners like us that we should be called the sons of God. Isn't God so gracious? So wonderful, so loving, that he did so much to provide us with so great salvation. 
The Bible never speaks of man setting out to atone for his own sin. He couldn't do it. He couldn't make amends to God even if he desired to do so. Fallen man has no desire. Fallen man has no inclination to make amends for his disobedience and for his sin. If you note the words in Genesis chapter 3 and ask yourself the question, who makes the first move to deal with the problem of sin in the Garden of Eden? Who makes the first move to solve that problem? Is it Adam? In the aftermath of his sin, is he found looking for God? Is he found looking for reconciliation where he could meet with God again? The answer is no, not at all. But God came down into the garden in the cool of the day and he cried out searching for Adam, Where art thou? Where art thou? It is our maker, the God of heaven, who is the God of reconciliation. And Paul tells us in Corinthians, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Atonement was provided by God. Secondly, atonement was pictured by God. By that I mean it's pictured in the Old Testament scriptures. In Abel's lamb and other sacrifices, the blood atonement of Christ was portrayed throughout the Old Testament Bible. In Israel of old, the Lord ordained certain events that serve as illustrations of what Christ would do when he came into this world. In the five books of Moses, for example, there are many examples of sacrifices and offerings for sin. And two in particular which I shall mention, first of all in the book of Exodus, and also secondly in the book of Leviticus. These are specific examples of sacrificial offerings given to atone for the sins of the people. These are the Passover in Exodus chapter 12 and the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. Taking Exodus 12 first of all, throughout the chapter, the use of the singular uh, pronoun should be noted when the Passover lamb is spoken of. 
If you read the chapter, you'll read about a lamb, the lamb, your lamb, spoken of in the singular. But never does it mention lambs in the plural. Now ask yourself, why is that so? The answer is simple. Because there is only one atoning sacrifice for sin. Only one. John chapter 1 and verse 29 speaks of Christ and says, Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb. Only one Lamb which taketh away the sin of the world. Note also the mention of the blood in Exodus chapter 12. As you read it, the blood is mentioned several times. And it is spoken of as a sign or a token, as verse 13 explains. As well as the sign of the blood, that chapter shows us the shedding of the blood, which is mentioned. The lamb was slain, and its blood was put into a basin, according to verse 22. The passage also goes on to refer to the striking of the blood, the sign of the blood, the shedding of the blood, and the striking of the blood. Verse 7, and thou shalt strike it. It was applied to the lintel and the side posts of the houses wherein the Israelites dwelt. The hymn writer caught a glimpse of this. And the hymn writer felt it in his soul. And he said, Amazing grace, tis heaven below to feel the blood applied. And Jesus, only Jesus knew, my Jesus crucified. Oh, do you feel that blood applied as it was applied to the little and to the side posts? Is it applied to your heart? Have you received the atonement? Are you depending on it? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to Jesus? Are you saved tonight? Are you a child of God and an inheritor of his kingdom? But all of this speaks clearly of Christ or Passover. Even as Paul in Corinthians says, Purge out therefore the old leaven. We are just lumps of old, sinful, wicked, crooked leaven. Poisonous leaven. Sinful leaven. It says, Purge it out that ye may be a new lump. Tell me, are you a new lump tonight? In other words, are you a new person? Are you a new creature? Paul calls us lumps. That's what he called the people in the church at Corinth. A new lump. That's a good name for us. Why? Because the old leaven has been taken out of the lump. And now this lump is something different. Ye are unleavened, he says. Unleavened even as Christ or Passover was sacrificed for us. Oh, hallelujah. What a sacrifice.
that Christ can take the sin out of us. He can lift the burden of our backs. He not only sets it at our feet and we trample over it again, but he takes it away. Just as the scapegoat in the Old Testament, when the, high, when the priest prayed over it and laid the sins of the people after confession upon the head of the scapegoat, the scapegoat was taken away into the wilderness, never to be seen again. That's what Christ has done on the cross. What a glorious salvation. What a victorious thing it is to know Christ, to be washed in the blood. And then let me mention briefly Leviticus chapter 16. The day of atonement. The day of atonement. There is a beautiful picture of the atoning work of Christ, our Savior here. In this portion, there are two goats that constitute one sin offering. It talks about a sin offering, not many sin offerings, verse 5. And carefully note that these are not two offerings, but a solitary sin offering. You may be interested to know that there is a serious error taught by the Seventh-day Adventist people. I was going to call them a church, but I refrain from doing that because I believe the church is made up only of saved people, believers in Christ. And one of our sisters this morning in the prayer meeting prayed about the churches out there. And then, with a small hesitation, she says, Lord, I don't know whether I'll call them churches or not, for they're not churches. She's right. She was dead on right. All these apostate churches, ecumenical churches, churches that have departed from the word of God, Preachers and ministers, bishops and archbishops and all the rest of it, who know not Christ are not members of the church of Jesus Christ. And they're not in the church of Christ. They are followers of the devil and they're going to hell. Let's be honest about it. Let's be truthful. And our sister was right. And... We talk about churches and so on and so forth. But you know, sometimes the churches we refer to are not really churches at all. They're citadels of hell. That's what they are. And the Seventh-day Adventist is one of those. They classify the two goats in this passage of Scripture as two distinct offerings for sin. They do. They claim the slain goat represents Christ, while the other, the scapegoat, is a type of Satan. And at the end, in relation to the Seventh-day Adventist belief, when the priest lays its hand upon the scapegoat and the sins that have been confessed are transferred to 
the scapegoat, then that is that they are transferred to Satan. That's what that teaches. It is blasphemous, downright blasphemous to suggest such a thing. Because on the cross of Calvary, our Savior did what these two goats portrayed and symbolized. What was that? He died for our sins. And in the shedding of his blood, Christ turned away God's wrath from us. As typified by the scapegoat, Christ took away our sins far out of God's sight. Psalm 85 verse 2 says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. And again the wee word Selah comes up there. Stop, think, pause. What a statement. That God has covered all my sin. Taken it away. It will never be remembered again. It will not rise up on the judgment day to condemn me. It's God for good. Thank God for such a wonderful salvation. Are you rejoicing in that? Is that your experience? Can you lift your head and your eye to heaven and say, Thank you, God, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Two tremendous truths are depicted in these two events. They are, first of all, substitution. Romans 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ died in our guilty room and in our stead. He is the great instead of me sacrifice. He died for us, and yet he died as us. Believers are reckoned as having died in him. Christ, the innocent one, died for us, the guilty. The hymn writer said, he took my place and died for me. O precious Lamb of Calvary, he took my place and died for me. And then the other thing is propitiation. Romans chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. The Greek word employed here for propitiation is translated in another place, Hebrews 9 verse 5, as mercy seat. Mercy seat. That's interesting. The mercy seat or the lid of the Ark of the Covenant 
which had blood sprinkled on it by the high priest on the day of atonement, was literally the propitiatory. It was. Christ himself is our mercy seat. His blood has turned away the wrath of God from those who trust in the atoning blood. Burning our guilt and our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ has suffered God's wrath in the place of his people. <coughs> he fully paid the debt, the olden to the broken law that they had broken. Thus, he, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. As 1 John 2 verse 2 reminds us, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God may now be propitious toward guilty sinners, as the publican prayed in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The sense of his prayer was this, be propitious, be appeased. Look upon me as when, Lord, thou lookest upon the blood. And isn't it wonderful, believer tonight, child of God, as God looks upon you tonight, he looks upon you as he looks upon the atoning blood of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Because he sees you in Christ, complete in him. That's our standing. How amazing. Oh, what matchless grace. What matchless love. Oh, what favor God has bestowed upon us. And finally, atonement was not only provided by God and pictured by God in Old Testament times, but atonement was procured by God. It was procured by the blood sacrifice. The atonement of Jesus Christ is not merely potential. This atonement is actual and definite. Matthew 1 and verse 21, a very familiar verse. And it very clearly says, And she shall bring forth a son, talking about Mary, and the advent of Christ, the virgin birth. It says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It was not merely a possibility of salvation that Jesus provided. His death achieved what he set out to achieve. The hymn writer said, He died an atoning death for me. He died an atoning death. O oh, wondrous love, it was for me. He died an atoning death. Thank God for procuring our salvation through the atonement of Jesus Christ. His precious blood is atoning. Christ has for sin atonement made. What a wonderful Savior. We are redeemed, the price is paid. What a wonderful Savior. 
I praise him for his cleansing blood. What a wonderful Savior that reconciled my soul to God. What a wonderful Savior. We have every right to sing that. It's our song to sing. The Lord has been pleased to let us have such a song. And it glorifies the Lord. <clears throat> it exalts his Son. It makes much of the blood. And that's what pleases God. And he wants you and me to make much of our Savior's atoning blood. In these days of bloodless theology and bloodless preaching, we must continue to emphasize that there can be no salvation from sin without looking to Jesus' blood. There's no other way to heaven. There is no cleansing from guilt without the application of Christ's blood to the heart. The Bible is filled with this truth and our worship of God in God's house ought to reflect this. We ought to place much emphasis on the theme of the precious blood. Our preaching, the atoning blood, must be uplifted and exalted. We preach Christ crucified. In our praying, the blood is brought ever to our minds and our hearts as we pray. In our praise, in our singing, we ought to magnify the atoning blood. Thankfully, many <coughs> great gospel hymns re replete with references to the precious blood are in our precious hymn book. Precious, precious blood of Jesus, ever flowing free. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We were singing down at the feet of Jesus. Also, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Blessed be the fountain of blood to a world of sinners revealed. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Oh, there's many more. Do we take pleasure in singing these glorious words? And do we take greater pleasure in glorifying God on account of his son's atoning work on the cross of Calvary? It is good to sing about this wonderful subject here on earth. Since, in a way perhaps, we are thus practicing for heaven. Because that's the theme of heaven. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Then in the Lord's Supper, the precious blood is ever brought to your attention. Jesus called one of the emblems the cup. The cup. And then went on to say, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. In this we are reminded of the great blessing Referred to by the psalmist here in Psalm 32. Our transgression is forgiven. 
our sin is covered. Atonement has been made. Can you rejoice in the assurance that you have a personal interest in the atoning blood of Christ? If not, can I urge you tonight to come to him? Lay aside the garments that are stained by sin. Trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Know him personally in your heart as the forgiver of all your iniquity, as the taker away of all your sin, and as the giver to you of a blessed assurance that will never fail you. Oh, I trust that the Lord will bless this word to each and every one of our hearts.